Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The Gist is sponsored by Citrix GoToMeeting. When meetings matter, millions choose GoToMeeting. Hold a meeting with anyone from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Try it free for 30 days by visiting gotomeeting.com and clicking the Try It Free button. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, September 15th, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Michael Pesca. So I do not expect to discuss on The Gist too often the refugee problem in Europe. There are just some issues, some news items that I have a hard way of getting into, like wildfires or another one, drought in the West, that's a special topic. But I've been analyzing why, and I think it's more like problems that flow versus problems that spike, if you get what I mean, just an ongoing onslaught and how do you differentiate? It's harder to get your hands around that which flows. But yesterday on Hang Up and Listen, my sports podcast with Stefan and Josh, we're talking about Germany and soccer, soccer team's attitudes towards refugees, and we're talking about German attitudes. And when you compare it to the rest of Europe, German is so open to immigrants. They have a low birth rate, and economically, immigrants are great for Germany, but I think it's about their history, and I just think it's about their openness, and they expect to accept 800,000 applicants for asylum this year. 200,000 was the 2014 number. Now, Angela Merkel, leader of Germany, has imposed some restrictions on the southern border. She cited security. The Germans might be open-hearted, but they definitely love order. And you know what the rest of us love? The rest of us love a national stereotype that we can wield with abandon. So unless you want to be the Republican frontrunner, we can't paint Mexicans with a broad cepillo. But we can say Canadians are polite. We can say that. And we can say, oh, the Germans... We could go off on the Germans. They love their rules. They love their order. They love their straight lines. And it is true. And I say this because in the spiel, I am going to tell my story of rule-following Germans, or at least the story of a rule-eschewing American, that's me, butting up against an airline based in Germany, but mostly based on the principle that Mike ain't Michael. So that will be the story of how I got there. But right now, is a bunch of stories of who I met there. The there was the friend's wedding in Montenegro, the bride's a Montenegrin, and I found all these guests who were really fascinating. Turns out I'm a conversationalist. Also, luckily, I brought a microphone. You get a conversationalist with a microphone, what do you do? You do some interviews. So you couldn't be at Eric and Anna's wedding. So I decided to bring some of the most interesting people from that wedding to you. Here now, the gist, all wedding edition. So our live show's coming up. It's September 29th. It's in Brooklyn at the Bell House. Pretty much everyone you love from the gist will be there. 
Maria Konnikova will play as that bullshit. Chris Wirtz will make a drink for you guys. Adam Davidson will talk economics. Zoe Chase will just talk. Chris Malamphy will discuss music. Matt Dix will tell a story. And there's going to be an exciting guest that we can't talk about. An exciting, humorous, funny, funny guest. I will give you this detail. Soon you'll be able to talk about it, and soon you'll be able to tell everyone who it is. But once that happens, I, I figure everyone will buy tickets. So if you want your tickets now, on the come, as they say in gambling, get them. Go to slate.com slash NYC gist. That's slate.com slash NYC gist. Just try, I didn't, even, I didn't even tell you about the musical guest we can't talk about. Same exact category. Trust us. Great guests. Fun show. Brooklyn, Sept 29th. Again, slate.com slash NYC gist for ticks. So you know how weddings go, the hors d'oeuvres, the vows, the funky chicken, this guy in the corner with a microphone doing interviews. No, that's not, there's no funky chicken at your weddings? Is that the confusion? Anyway, I did bring my microphone. I was glad I did. Because when I was told it would be a destination wedding, I never thought that the destination would be the land of fascination that is actually a district within Montenegro, the fascination district. Anyway, first up, the first guy I talked to you're going to hear from is John Woody Fraze. Woody was friends with the groom since preschool, but more importantly, for our purposes, is his day job at core practice. What does he do there? CEO Straight Talk. Culturally or philosophically, you can believe in the Affordable Care Act. You just need to prepare yourself for the financial changes that are going to occur. It's actually probably... 20 times more expensive to be overstaffed than to be understaffed and use overtime when you need it. 20 oh. times. And so do you want to be overstaffed? Probably not. Here's how he describes the audiences he finds himself talking to. All the CEOs we're talking to are Republicans. Yeah. And so the first thing they say to us when the doors close are, they, they say, so you hate Obama too, right? And I say, whoa, this is not a political conversation. This is a financial conversation. So here's what he tells these CEOs about the attitudes of millennials, how those attitudes will affect their workplaces. Most people say that these millennials, 18 to 30, 18 to 32, we haven't really even defined what the age group is. We, we're not even sure what that is. Right. But we say these people are lazy. They don't want to work. They don't have the passion. Well, we say they're entitled, right? Entitled, yeah. but also lazy. Yeah. And there, there's two pieces to that. One is we all force these people to go to college. You got to go to college and get an education. You That's go. true. All right, so... And, they're, 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 and practically, there's no, like, uh, for especially our parents, you could do well with a high school education. There were plenty of jobs for good middle-class lives with just a high school education. It's not true anymore. Well, actually, those jobs are still there. Uh -huh. These people just don't want to work them. And so what happened is they've got $150,000, $200,000 in college Debt, and they're taking jobs for thirty-five dollars to $45,000. They have no quality of life. Yeah. It is a problem. And so two things are happening. Number one, they've got college debt and they've got fairly low paying jobs. If they were in manufacturing, average income in manufacturing with benefits is about $70,000 a year. But they've been told after this great college education, who would want to work right. in a factory, even though the pay is great? The point of college is to be white collar. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the story, right? Number two, which I find really interesting, is a, a little-known fact about marriage rates. These people are getting married at about 30% less than the generation before them for this 18 to 30-ish group. And if they're getting married less and they're having children less, do they really need to be making more and more money and going for that promotion? A lot of these people are living at home. They have very low expenses. 
They don't have cars as much as the they past don't. generation. They yeah. don't. They're using Uber, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But there's there's less cars. There's less ch One children. One Xbox. That's entertainment for a month. I say all they want is an Xbox and a six pack. <laughs> that's what I say actually in some of my presentations, <laughs> and it's true. So why do these people feel the need to get up, work third shift? do these crazy hours, fight for the promotion, if frankly, the financial demand isn't there for them. Yeah, and the so only thing that, the only demand is the debt. So we need the debt. The debt is it. fueling them. The debt's getting them off the only thing that gets, and, and frankly, that's, <laughs> that's something they don't want to pay for anyway. Yeah. And so it's, uh, it's a little demotivating. Woody, by the way, sometimes delivers his speeches at ballparks like Target Field, where the Minnesota Twins play, once, once spoke near home plate at Fenway Park. So we're going to stay with the theme of stadia, because also at the wedding was Phil Hochberg, who for years was the stadium announcer for NFL's Washington franchise. Here's what he would do over the PA system there. John Riggins carries, gain of eight yards, tackled by Joe Smith. Now second down and two. So Phil was the stadium announcer for almost 40 years. 1999 was his last year. And I asked him over the course of his career and to the present how that job has changed. When my friend Stan Caston was the president of the, uh, of the Nationals, we had breakfast one morning. Uh, and I was pitching him on the idea of becoming the PA announcer for the Nationals. And he asked me, he said, uh, how would you describe your style? And in 40 years of doing PA announcing, no, nobody had ever asked me that question. And I thought about it for a moment, and I said, low-key, competent, and professional. Yeah. And without missing a beat, Kasten said, that's not what we're looking for. So Phil's out of the announcing business now. He's concentrating on his legal and lobbying practice. That when I was a kid and the Redskins would lose, uh, I'd be upset about it for the better part of a week now that I'm... An adult, you know, a member of society, a member of the bar. I'm usually over it by Wednesday, Thursday at the latest. <laughs> the sad thing is you got more chances yeah, to get used right. to it these days. Yeah, that's right. He has a lifelong stadium pass. He never uses it. He doesn't want to be a hostage to memory. So next up is Nadia Sood, who didn't want to be a hostage to a Nigerian general. But that's what happened to her. I really had this strange idea that I wanted to go to Nigeria, which everyone, including my father, was vehemently opposed to. And I somehow figured out the guy who was responsible for the list. The list being the names of all the very, very cool, high-level, extremely well-known people who were going to go on this election monitoring expedition with Jimmy Carter and Colin Powell. And I called him every day until he said to me, Nadia, I talk to you more than my wife. You can get on the list. Okay, so but what authority did you have as an election monitor? <laughs> we had basically no authority at all. Yeah. Except for that if it did come to pass that we would have said as a group that the whole thing was completely shambolic, Yeah. then the international community might not have recognized the so election. You, so election day comes and goes, or am I skipping ahead anything? You're skipping ahead. All right, tell me what happens. So the first thing that happens is that we're in a state where the military is in power, and the military has been told to stay out of the election. So the only people who are supposed to be physically at the election uh, stations themselves are the police. But this particularly, this particular military commander doesn't really like that very much. So he decides that he should just figure out where we're going to go. Like, what's our route going to be on the day? So he comes to pick us up at our hotel. And he's like, I've come for a meeting with you. And we were like, about what? You're not supposed to be in the elections. Well, I just need to know where you're going to be going. And we're like, the whole point of 
not telling you so that you don't know, so that you can't get there beforehand and do something uh, to tamper with the results. But he didn't really take that as a, a given, so... Yeah. We said see, politely we're goodbye. We're trying to not let you intimidate us. Yeah. You get that, right? And the answer is no, he didn't. <laughs> but I was only 24, so yeah. I was like, oh, whatever, no big deal. I kept thinking to myself, like, I'm American, I'm Canadian, I've got passports from those two nations. I've met Jimmy Carter personally. <laughs> I will be fine. Yeah. So uh, he doesn't get what he wants, so he picks us up, takes, him, takes us to his house, puts us into a tiny room with two sofas, which are basically where you sit down, your knees are touching the person on the other side. Right. Five military dudes are sitting on the other side of the sofa, and he's like... Now you're going to tell us where you're going. And we're sitting there, no, we don't really think so, because we're not supposed to do this. We're supposed to be independent. That's the whole point of an independent election monitor. Democracy is a learning process, but when you say we, who, who else uh, so was I was there with a, another guy who was also, there, we were always in pairs of two, yeah. so he was also... Was, did he have the expertise that you lacked? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, yes. So you were the junior member of the delegation. I was the junior member. Okay. Uh, and he worked for the Carter Center. Okay, so you're sitting there, you got military guys, guys with guns. Yeah, guys with guns. Saying, tell me where you're going to go. You say, you we, say no. We say no. You're in this request. We, yeah. we, we, we say, we're, we, we think we should call call our boss, uh -huh. Jimmy Carter, and they're like, who is that? <laughs> and then I say, with my 24-year-old bravado, I'm an American. And they say, so what? Oh, no. <laughs> and they say, do you know how long it will take between when you call your embassy and when they actually get here? It's going to be a long time. And I was at that point, I was like, oh, maybe I'm in over my head here. Yeah. <laughs> so at any rate, after about seven hours sitting in this room, wow. suddenly somebody comes into the room and says, time to send them home. Wait, so you missed the whole election? No, or? no, this is the night before. Night before, okay. So we go back to the hotel and they say, in the morning, we will be coming back to find out where you're going and you better tell us. We go to sleep, get up the next morning. Do you report this? Oh yeah, we, yeah, we call yeah, in, we yeah. say. And then uh, the next morning, we leave from the hotel with a car trailing us. And it's a red Mercedes, which is a bit unusual and cavorting around Africa at top speeds in the desert with a red Mercedes, you're certainly not not noticeable. Right. So they tail us and we get to the first polling station. And sooner or later, we see another Mercedes. And by the mid-morning, they had figured out the next place we were going, basically through triangulation or something. And everywhere we would go, we would see the tail of four red Mercedes leaving just before we got there. Do you think they intimidated voters? Did they affect oh, the they vote? they definitely did. Yeah? Definitely. So who won in that area? Well, it was really difficult to tell because there was so much tampering, in fact, but one of the specific things that I witnessed was that we went to one polling station, the way that they were registering people to vote was they were actually handwriting your name and then making you put your fingerprint in a book. Mm -hmm. And it was just random in terms of whenever you arrived, you put your name in, there was no alphabetizing or anything. So when you went on the day to vote, it would take them like an hour or half an hour to even find you in the book. Right. So we get to one place at 8.30, 
and like three people have voted and there's a huge queue of people waiting and it's taking them on average 45 minutes to get through the book and find your name. We come back at 10 and 5,000 people have voted. And we're like, hmm. They got really efficient all of a sudden. They got super efficient. Okay, so after that, do you guys all meet and decide whether to certify it or not? We did, yeah. And um, I mean, obviously there were like more irregularities in some places than others, but the end goal was to help the country move towards democracy. So basically the view was that unless we could show that the entire election in its totality was fraudulent, we would need to try to endorse it in some way. Right. So we did say that it was a free election, but that there were a lot of irregularities. How did the, you know, did the international community look at this as a real election? Did they take the great assault thing or? I think they did. And I think it was good for Nigeria and that they did get a, you know, they did move out of a dictatorship and they did move to Obasanjo who whether you agree with what he did or not, at least, you know, he had technically been elected. So this is 1999. Yeah. So after the 2000 election goes down in America, we were like, oh, maybe it wasn't so bad. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, no red Mercedes, but the butterfly ballot, we didn't have any shit like that. <laughs> and so what did you learn that you take in now your job as high finance? <laughs> Well, I think what I've learned, because I do impact investing, and what we really care about is making a difference for people. The thing I've really learned, actually, from that experience is that very often things break down because of small misunderstandings on the ground rather than some, you know, globally engineered corruption scam. Yeah. There'll be strange, small things that don't work out because people don't communicate, and suddenly you have a catastrophic situation. Nadia, thank you very much. Thank you. And let's stay in Africa for our final interview, our final wedding guest. This is David Mark. His company is Mchanga. They're an interesting tech company in Uganda. He got into this. One of his first projects was working on an app for sex workers in Kenya. Yeah, in, in school, I studied the philosophy of technology. Why do people use technology? What's it good for? What are the bad effects? And that, that kind of led me into working in HIV vaccines. A vaccine is a technology that a lot of people can get behind. And uh, I went to Kenya to the largest hospital there to study it. And it, seemed, and it turned out that, you know, working with the populations that we needed to work with, the highest risk, so we're talking about sex workers, injecting drug users, and they really couldn't participate in clinical trials. And we actually built tech specifically for them so that, you know, not only could they understand what's happening in the clinical trial, but they could participate with it on their mobile phone every day. So it would buzz and ask a sex worker, ask a Kenyan prostitute what? We were doing risk assessments. So for sex workers, it would help, you know, help them understand their risk, kind of report to them kind of on the amount of risky behavior that they've been doing, what they can do to mitigate that. So you would ask them how many times, how many clients did you have last night? Did they use condoms? Those sorts of questions. Yeah. What else? So, yeah, the, the, the number of, of sexual encounters, the type of encounter, whether protection was used, whether uh, at that time we were testing pre-exposure prophylaxis and whether that has been taken and, uh, yeah, getting at that information. And over time, could you test this and find that some of the prostitutes using this changed their behavior? Absolutely. I mean, we, we were able to track behavior really, really on a daily basis. And we did find that certain techniques were, were better than others. So what's a good one? Sex workers is not necessarily a full-time job. And right. when it becomes more of a part-time job, people tend to act a bit safer. And we saw that. 
All right, that's it. The band, the best band in all the Balkans, by the way. The guy does an amazing, perfect spot on Korean spot on version of Gagnum style. Great wedding. I gotta go. Sorry you can't be there, but I'm glad you got to hear some of it. Think about the time, money, and hassle it takes to hold a meeting. In the amount of time you're thinking about it, you couldn't even hold a meeting. That's how much time it takes to hold a meeting. So, meet your clients and coworkers online with Citrix. Go to meeting because it's a smarter way to meet. It makes it easy to meet with your team whenever you need to, wherever you are. Because with GoToMeeting, you can meet from any computer, tablet, or smartphone. No travel expenses. Forget about traffic. Your team can just click a link. You don't have to sign up. No speed bumps. You turn on your webcam. It's HD quality. It's like being in the same room. You could also share screens to present, review, and get feedback in real time. Everyone sees what's going on with everyone else. You're all on the same page. I want you to sign up for GoToMeeting today. Try it free for 30 days. You got nothing to lose. Visit GoToMeeting.com and click the Try It Free button. Do it now and have your first meeting up and running in minutes. That's GoToMeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. And now the spiel, mic check. And I am speaking to you, having returned from the east, well, east of us, Turkey, Montenegro, Croatia, in reverse order. I am at the apartment of someone who says she's never been interviewed in any form before. It is my travel companion, my sartorial consultant, my girlfriend. It's Michelle. Say hello, Michelle. Hi, Mike. That's how we greet each other every morning. (laughs) Hi, Mike. (laughs) And you might also hear a couple cats in the background. They're fascinated with the microphone. We're here to tell you our story of how we almost never got back because we almost never got there. So we leave for the airport at 3, which is pretty good, right? Correct. It's a 6 o'clock flight. Check in. Guy looks at my credentials, says, oh, your passport says Michael Pasca. Your uh, ticket here says Mike Pasca. My reaction is something along the lines of, oh. He says, well, that's going to be a problem. Like, why? You can't travel with different names. I'm like, it's the same name. He's like, well, you're going to have to change the ticket. I'm like, could you guys go in and change the ticket? He says, we can't change the ticket. Expedia has to change the ticket. So I call up Expedia and we're on the phone a little bit. And the guy at the counter is like, you know, the flight leaves in whatever it is, an hour. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not being casual. They just put me on the phone for a while. And I don't have the look, I'm concerned being on the phone. Look, I have the, oh, what a pain in the neck. This is kind of stupid. Look. Anyway, the guy from Expedia gets on the phone and he explains, no, Expedia can't change the name. It's going to have to be the airline. Now, I don't want to embarrass the airline or get into any legal suits, but let's call the airline Tuftlanza. So if Tuflanza says it has to be Expedia, Expedia says... Andrew, you got to fast forward through this. I do tend to go on. There's nothing, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. You can't fly. What do you mean you can't fly? Michael's Mike. So anyway, we miss our six o'clock flight. So at this point, Michelle, tell us what you do, because we got to get, we got to get to uh, Montenegro. We got a wedding to get to. Right. Well, you're skipping a couple of pieces of information, okay. one of which where we're going to your friend's wedding. Right. And when... We discovered that we weren't gonna, you weren't going to be able to get on the flight. You wanted to send me on the flight by myself. I think I to- graciously offered to incorrect. put you ahead. No. I sacrificed myself. Not, no, not true. You were trying to save money. <laughs> I wasn't trying. I was just suggesting. I mean, you were urging me to get on the flight, to check my bag, to get on the flight, to go through two connecting flights yeah. in foreign countries right. by myself to it's go a lot of to good in-flight meet media. your You could have watched Pitch Perfect too. I'm bored. No, I knew that it, I, I, I put that out there as an alternative and you chose not to take the alternative and I stuck by you in that situation. That's what Michael Pesca does. 
Mike Pesca, on the other hand. Okay, so as I'm dealing with this, you go and you price some other tickets, and what do you find? Turkish Air would send us there and back for $1,200 a ticket. Okay, and they hold the tickets until 7 p.m. So original flight was 6. We have to make a decision by 7 to give you some idea of how long we're in the airport. It's four hours now. And right before, there's nothing we could do. So I'm going to buy $2,500 worth of tickets because of the Mike versus Michael problem. So I go not to the people who are checking us in, but the ticketing people. I'm like, do you guys have a flight to... uh, to Montenegro or to Dubrovnik. I said, because the craziest thing happened. You wouldn't let me on your flight. Oh, I think they even looked it up and said, oh, you're in here. And I said, I know, but you wouldn't let me on my flight because of this Mike Michael thing. And the lady I'm talking to talks to someone else. And then this someone else next to her, a woman named Maria, who winds up being the goddess slash hero of this story, hears this and says, Mike is Michael. And I say, yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. Mike is Michael. And she's like, why don't you let you on? And I said, wait a minute, you're Tuftlanza. You're the ones who wouldn't let you on. She said, that's ridiculous. I said, I know, that's what I've been saying. So she goes and she hunkers down on her computer. And you know how it works, where they can see the computer and you can't. And she calls a coworker over and she calls another coworker over. And I hear her saying, Mike is Michael, Mike is Michael. And everyone's kind of agreeing with her. And then she's like, didn't she see Rima's email? Rima sent the email. And then I get a sense of what's going on. The ticketing people and the check-in people, there's a war between them. Because Maria's saying, they never read the emails. They don't read it. Look at this. She calls the person to her right. Look at this. She calls the person over her left shoulder. It says right here, nicknames, Rima. They never read the email. Her supervisor comes by. Maria, advocating for me, says, Mike Pesca, Michael Pesca. And then the supervisor says to me, well, do you have any ID that says that you're Mike Pesca? And I have a credit card. I have credit cards from Michael Pesca and credit cards from Mike Pesca. Well, do you have any picture ID? And I pull out of my wallet the PS11, my kid's school, the PS11 parent ID that happens to say Mike Pesca. That's pretty, that's a pretty powerful argument in this whole thing. And the supervisor seems not so much on board with me, but she seems to be at least placating Maria. And eventually the supervisor says to us, we can't do it. We can't honor your ticket. Now, at this point, I just want to stop and say the reason why this had a profound effect on me was that it played into, I would say, the central tension of our relationship. And it's not a tension, really. It's a fault of mine. I am, on the scale of careful to uncareful, how would you characterize me? Whatever less than uncareful could possibly be. I'm devil may care. I'm happy-go-lucky. I guess the positive side of this is I don't have a lot of anxiety, but the negative side is I don't have great attention to detail. And I think we work extremely well together is, you know, you're extremely detail-oriented in a great way. You pick up the pieces for me and maybe sometimes I could help you see big picture. But it's a flaw. Like my inattention is a flaw. And this is the flaw writ large. This is the flaw having as big an effect on us as can possibly be. It's the flaw that broke the camel's back. It is that flaw. And I was worrying about you, my camel. (laughs) Wait a minute, who's the camel? (laughs) You made yourself a camel in this. But yeah, it wasn't just a random thing that happened. It was the thing that strikes at 
my personality trait, my Achilles heel. This was, you go to the airport and they say, sorry, Mr. Achilles, you don't pass our heel check. And Achilles could be like, that's so random. How could this happen? But re really, shouldn't Achilles be? Yeah, it's the heel thing again. So this is why it was eating me up a little more than just the total inconvenience and the Kafkaesque bureaucracy and the $2,500. I've never heard you mention this quality as being your Achilles heel as far as I've ever known you've always defended this quality about right. yourself well, I and thought, said uh, that it, it's a, a strength of yours and how you find a source of pride in the fact that this you walk around with little to no anxiety on a daily basis but forgetting to acknowledge that that aspect of yourself causes everybody around you to be in a constant state of panic. Okay, couple things. One, you say strength weird. Two, a daily, I, I would say that the median anxiety is pretty low, but when you factor in the massive amount of anxiety of this uh, travel airport experience, maybe you're right. Maybe the mean, maybe the exact average, since that was a spike through the roof. No, I don't, I really don't think, I don't acknowledge it, part defense mechanism, part we all self-justify how we are, or at least people without a lot of anxiety slash attention to detail will have the personality trait of saying, oh, it's fine, it's the way to be. You know, they, they self-justify. But do wait, do I always make everyone around me in a constant state of panic? Well, what I don't think you understand is there was a group text going on yeah. without you being part of it between myself, my mom and your mom and your mom was completely freaking out and thus causing my mom to be in a terrible state of panic for our entire trip. Oh, the entire trip? Yes. They oh. were worried about us getting back. Oh, well, we'll get to that because we haven't even left the airport yet. We go over to Turkish Air. We're online. We've whipped out the credit card. We were walking over to the Turkish Air counter. We were at the line about... We were close. Okay, let's say we're online to buy the ticket. I mean, we're how many minutes away from buying the ticket? Two. Two minutes away, and I hear, Mike, Mike, Mike. And I turn around, it's a Tuflanza person running towards me, and I'm like, listen, you don't have to sell me the ticket, you don't have to honor the ticket, but don't mock me. I understand it's Michael. She says, no, my supervisor decided to make an exception. We're going to honor the tickets. And that's where it would end, but for this. Michelle here, who likes to get to the airport two hours early, and thank God she did, because we needed all those six hours. <laughs> Michelle here points out, well, how's he going to fly home? And their answer is, they're looser about this in Europe. <laughs> but if you want, you could call this number and change the ticket officially to Michael. So we fly. We fly out. My mother, working the phones from the uh, Long Island side of things, calls Tuflanza, here's the procedure to change my name officially so I don't have a hassle on the way back. Fax them my passport, only a fax will they accept. 24 hours later, call them and confirm. Andrew, can you fast forward again, please? I get to be very chatty, it turns out. It's out of paper, something, your fax machine's wrong. I get them again, so many minutes on hold. You're like, man, man, we don't know, we can only give you one number. Long story, not at all short. We go to the airport, they look at Mike Pesca and they give me the ticket and I'm here. Anything else you'd like to add, Michelle? I just wanted to say this was quite an interview. <laughs> I really, I pulled you in a lot. Yeah. I got a lot out of you. Yeah. It was a great first experience for me <laughs> yeah. being interviewed. I feel like I contributed a lot to the story. Well, that's true. But on the other hand, couldn't you make the argument that it was a good interview? Because it's very much like a number of our interactions. Oh, I would definitely <laughs> say this is exactly how almost all of our interactions go. 
Yes. I've told you many times, and I think I demonstrated to you, that a large culprit in this is uh, autofill. I started, when, you, when I type in M on name, it comes up Mike, and then I click it, and then all my information is there. What do you think of the autofill explanation? Well, you kept harping on that issue I while something. we were in the airport, and I couldn't believe that you were going to continue to perpetuate that story. Since we've been home, you've sent me a screenshot of it, but I want to point out that on that screenshot, yeah. in bold, blaring letters, it says to make sure that your name matches the name on your government-issued ID. It does, but in smaller letters, it says make sure your name matches your PS11 parent ID. Right, right. I did see that, too. I do try. You know I've tried to have more attention to detail, scheduling, calendars, personal hygiene. <laughs> so I'll try, I'll try even more. Great, honey. Well, I want to thank you, Michelle. I want to thank you, Maria, at the uh, Tuftlanza counter. You are the hero of this story. Let's remember, Mike is Michael. Signing off, it's Michelle and Michael Pesca. I love you, honey. Love you, buddy. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi promises to edit the gist through difficult times, to rejoice with the gist through happy times, to be loyal to the gist, and above all, to chop out the parts where Mike blames Michelle for what clearly was Mike's fault. Andy Bowers promises to care for the gist above all others, except maybe the newest exciting podcast from the Panoply Network getting in. The gist. The gist promises to love and respect you, to help our love grow whatever our lives may bring, to stay with you till death do us part or until the host chews food on the microphone. We get it. That's disgusting. Thanks for listening.